Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. We're up to chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. Who would have thought we could have got through the whole of Revelation and it would be understandable? We've used a diagram to help you see the context of Revelation. The first five chapters are an introduction. The first three, he's talking to churches in the area because churches and the end times go together. You need to be in a family of believers to get through the hard times of Revelation. And then chapter 4 and 5, he's talking about heaven and the scroll and the seals on the scroll that were sealed all the way back from Daniel's time and how nobody is worthy to open these seven seals except Jesus. And then John is crying and then he's rejoicing because Jesus is going to open the seals. Then we saw from chapter 6 to 19, the seven-year tribulation period from several different angles and perspectives. The first was those seven seals, which are consecutive, and they start with the Antichrist, and then there's war and famine and pestilence killing a quarter of the, the world's population. Then the martyrs in heaven, the heavenly signs that we see, and the final seal goes into the seven trumpets. And then we saw the seven trumpets. So this is now a different perspective, but calamities. A, a third of the land and the trees are destroyed. A third of the sea is destroyed. A third of the rivers are destroyed. A third of the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. Uh, there's a demonic army of locusts. Then there's this huge army crossing the Euphrates. Uh, 200 million people coming to wage war at Armageddon. And then the final trumpet is Christ reigning over the earth. And then we saw a different perspective, which was the seven bowls, the final terrible, terrible calamities with sores. The whole of the sea turns to blood and everything dies. All the fresh water uh, is, is turned to blood and everything dies. The sun scorches people. Then there's darkness and pain. And then the sixth bowl was also this Euphrates drying up and this huge war. Uh, Armageddon and the last bowl was the final earthquake where all the mountains are destroyed, all the islands are removed, everything is destroyed, the whole world is just messed up uh, by this huge earthquake. And then there were two interludes in that section. We're still talking about the seven years, but Revelation 12 to 14 was talking about the beast and his false prophet and their uh, activity during the seven years and how we can recognize him. And that was really um, amazing little details about him and the mark that he's going to use to make people buy and sell. And then the last interlude was Revelation 17 to 19, talking about Babylon, this world religion and world power and how it's aligned with the beast, but then the beast turns on it and destroys it. And that is the end. It ends with the battle of Armageddon, Jesus taking his bride. There's the marriage supper of the lamb, and then they come back and there's Armageddon and the, the end of the seven years has happened. And now we're into chapter 20, and it's almost like uh, a pause after this terrible calamity. And we're going to see some amazing, amazing things. So Revelation 20 verse 1 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, Having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must re be released for a little while. So at the end of the, the calamities and the battle of Armageddon, 
Satan is bound and put in prison for a thousand years. And it says so that he can deceive the nations no more. In other words, that is his method of attack is deception. And he can no longer deceive. So we're going to have a thousand years where the devil can't influence people. Amazing. And this is a real thousand years. It's just so clear. It mentions it so many times in this passage and in so many other passages in the Bible that we know it is real. Verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is Christians who have been victorious through the tribulation. And they live and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. <laughs> we saw in the previous chapter, chapter 19, that Jesus, when he gathers up his people, there's the great marriage supper of the Lamb. They are judged and given their rewards and they are given new bodies. If I have time today, I'll go into a few verses about that. But they come back and they reign on earth with Christ for a thousand years. I'm going to talk about that thousand years in a moment, but let me just get through chapter 20 first. Verse 5 says, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So there are several resurrections. The first is when Christians are given new bodies at the start of the thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, everyone else is resurrected and there's another big judgment. And that is the, the second resurrection. And they're different. We're going to see how in a moment. But he clearly says this is the first resurrection. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. If you're a Christian, when Jesus comes back, you get raised again. You get given a new body like Jesus's body. Jesus's body could eat. It was physical. It could be touched. But it could also move anywhere on the planet at, at instant timing. He could be here and then there. He could go back up to heaven and come back down. It's, it's a different body. It's a spiritual body, but it is a body. And we're going to have one of those. Over such, those who take part in this first resurrection, the Christians, it says, over such, the second death has no power. The second death is the final destruction at the end of the thousand years after the final judgment day. It says, the second death has no power if you were raised again with Jesus when he comes back. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Hallelujah. Verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. So at the end of the thousand years, there's a short period where Satan is released. He deceives people again. He gathers armies, but it's not really a war. God just dissolves them. He just finishes it, and that is the end. So Satan, we saw in a previous talk when we were looking at Revelation 12, 13, and 14, how Satan was in heaven. He was Lucifer, the great angel. The Bible speaks of him having musical instruments all over his body, leading worship. He was great, but he wanted to be 
above God. And so he was cast down to earth. That was the big four. Then he managed to deceive Adam and Eve and wheedle his way into taking Adam and Eve's lordship over the earth. Adam and Eve were given delegated authority over the earth and the devil took it from them. And that's why in Luke chapter 4, when he is tempting Jesus, he says, Look at all the kingdoms of the earth. They are mine, for they were given to me, and I can give them to whomever I choose. Satan was in that position. And so in the Old Testament book of Job uh, and various other places, we see him entering into heaven, asking God for the ability to hurt people. And because he's legal master over the earth, he has certain authorities. But then Jesus came and he said, I'm going to cast out the ruler of this earth. Um, he overcame the devil. Colossians 2.15 says he disarmed the, the, the devil and his principalities. He took away their authority. And when he rose again, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So Satan was up, then he was down, then he was in the middle. Then he had his authority taken away so that he could now just deceive. And then in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, we see he gets cast right out of heaven permanently. It's shut off to him, but he's still on earth for three and a half years, and he is really causing havoc, especially using the beast and the false prophet. But now we see at the beginning of the thousand years, he gets put in prison, locked up. He can't do anything anymore for a thousand years. Then he is released for a short time where he tries to get something going and then he is destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire. Matthew 25, Jesus said that the lake of fire was prepared or, or designed for the devil and his angels. It was never designed for humans, but humans choose to go there. And at the end of the thousand years, the devil goes there. I hope that's helped you understand why we see different levels of authority of the devil in different parts of the Bible. And verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the final ending. So let me try and put it in context. We have time up until Jesus, and 483 years before Jesus, Daniel said someone is going to issue a decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and from that time there will be 483 years till Jesus comes. That happened. It's in the history books. You can check it out. Then Daniel said there'll be another last seven years, the final seven years, the tribulation, and the second half of it is the great tribulation, um, Jesus said, which is when the beast, the Antichrist, is really doing his worst. And then the end will come. So we're seeing the time scale, the timeline. But then it says there's a thousand years of peace, which I'm going to describe to you in a moment, when Jesus is ruling and reigning on earth. And then the devil is destroyed or thrown into the lake of fire. There's the great judgment day when everyone who's ever lived stands before Jesus' great white throne and is judged by what they've done. 
and the books are opened with every single thought, action, word, motivation, desire, uh, deception, everything is, is, is recorded in the book. But there's another book called the Book of Life, and you can only be in one or the other. If you're in the Book of Life, you are free from judgment because we've already been judged before the thousand years start and we are given our white robes and our new bodies. And your name is no longer in this other book. But if you're not in the book of life, then all of your deeds are in this book. And even one sin deserves us being away from God. But all of us have had many sins. And so they are sent away from God forever. That is the big context. Let me talk about a few details now. What about this thousand years of peace? Is this the only place in the Bible that it's described? No. Jesus spoke about it in his parables several times. He talked about how the worthy servants were going to be given cities to rule over. This passage in Revelation tells us we're going to reign with him on thrones and rule the earth. But there are many, many verses. I'm just going to read you a few. Ezekiel 36 verse 35 says, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden again. That's amazing. Then Isaiah 11 verse 4 to 9 talks about this, this period. It says, with righteousness, he, Jesus, shall judge the poor. He's going to be ruling. He's going to be the government. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now listen to this description. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. Kids will go out to play with the lions and lead them around. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. You know, before Noah's flood, every one and everything ate vegetables only. And it was only after the flood that God said, now there's going to be killing and eating of meat. And it's going to go back to how it was before. Before the flood, people lived hundreds and hundreds of years. Let's listen to what it says in verse 6. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a glorious thousand years. Isaiah 65, starting in verse 19. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. In other words, he's saying if someone dies at a hundred, we would have said, oh, they died young. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall see the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. There will be children. We will be still having families and having children. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. 
and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And there are many other passages that I could read about this thousand years of peace. Now, let me answer a couple of questions. When Jesus was asked about the resurrection, they said, if the, a man had seven wives and in the resurrection, whose, whose husband will he be? And Jesus said, no, when we are in heaven, we'll be like the angels. We won't be marrying or given in marriage. How can this say that we're going to have families and children? The answer is that Jesus was talking about the ultimate heaven after the thousand years where we no longer have physical bodies. Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the ultimate where we won't be marrying and giving in marriage. But in this thousand years, we will have a body like Jesus's. And there is some similarities to how we are now. There's a whole passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul talks about our bodies in this millennium time. In verse 52, he says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. When we're raised at the rapture to meet Jesus in the air, we will be changed and given bodies like the resurrected Jesus has. Verse 35, But some will say, How are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? And then Paul goes into a long description of bodies and how there's different types of bodies and some things have this kind of body and some others have this. There's a seed and there's a body that comes out of it. Um, but he gives some descriptions in verse 42. He says, the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So we're going to have sinless bodies in that thousand year period. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. There's going to be glorious bodies. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So we're going to have a different kind of body. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. We're going to have a body like Jesus's. And Philippians 3.21 says, Christ will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. That's amazing. So this thousand years, Jesus is ruling and reigning. He is ruling justly and righteously. There is no sin. There is no crying. I mean, people can still sin in their hearts. And there will be many people who don't follow him because when Satan is released at the end of the thousand years, he manages to gain a huge army to fight against God. So there will be non-believers, even though Jesus is standing on earth and ruling and reigning. But God is wanting to show us what he originally intended in the Garden of Eden. He wants to show us how it can be. People live long lives. There is happiness. There is health. There is joy. There is peace. There is still the ability for people to choose against God for this thousand years. But it's an incredible time. And we will still be busy on earth. You know, some of us Christians think the world's just going to be wiped off the planet. So why do I care about the things of this earth and training and learning things and, and gaining skills? We're going to use those in that thousand years where we're with Christ ruling and reigning on earth. And we are being trained to be rulers and judges and leaders. An amazing time. But then at the end of that, it says that there's a great white throne. Let me just read you what this says because it's, it's so important. It says in verse 11 of Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Earth and heaven fled away. That's talking about the dissolving of time and space and matter. 
earth and heaven, space and matter and time will be dissolved and destroyed. In 2 Peter 3, it talks about uh, fervent heat, how all the elements will be melted and dissolved or unwrapped, un undone. All the, all the parts of, of atoms and protons will be undone. Everything, matter and time and space, will be completely dissolved and there will be a new reality for eternity. But at the start of this judgment day, earth and heaven flee away. Everything is dissolved and everybody stands before God. Um, the dead were judged according to their works. The things written in the books, the sea gave up the dead. Death and Hades delivered up the dead. They were judged according to their works. Every single human being that has ever lived is standing there at one place at one time. And we, even though we experience the judgment before the thousand years, because there is no time in heaven, I believe we're at that judgment as well. And that's where we get our rewards. They're two different judgments, but I believe they happen because in eternity, everything is in the present. I think we go up to meet Jesus and we have our rewards judgment, the book of life judgment, where he says, I'm giving you rewards, 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 rewards. You're not going to be condemned. Let me just prove this to you by a couple of verses. Christian's judgment is different. Jesus said in John 3.18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. John 5.24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So we're not condemned or judged for punishment, but there is a judgment for us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we Christians must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And we know from 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12 that it's a, a rewards judgment. He says, What you've done for the Lord will be tested. And if it is for the Lord, gold, silver, precious stones, it will survive through the fire and you will receive your reward. Others, Christians, who have not done a lot of good things, will not get a whole bunch of extra rewards, but they will get through into the eternity hereafter, but through fire. So Christians are going to have a book of life judgment, but then the non-believers, they are facing this judgment where we're separated. What do we do with all this, dear friends? What does all this mean to us? Well, I think it's important for us to know God's big picture and his big scheme of time. You know, this millennium that's going to come, as believers, I've already said that in heaven there's, there's a different time scale and we can be in eternity and, and time and eternity are different. Um, but we as believers are always living with one foot in heaven Heaven is in our hearts, Jesus said in Luke 17. Uh, we're told many times in the scriptures that our citizenship is in heaven. We're told that we are already seated in heavenly places with Christ in Ephesians 2 verse 6. There is an element of us saying, what is the millennium like? What is heaven like? Because I'm already there. I'm thinking of it. That's where I live. That's my home. That's what I love. And just as in the millennium, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want to bring some of that on earth right here and right now as much as I can. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's my goal. I'm thinking of that time, not just as a future event, but how can I live like that today? How can I live with peace, with joy, with love, with forgiveness, with helping others to enter into this heavenly time? But secondly, I am aware that there will be a judgment and there will be a rapture. I will receive rewards for what I've done. And I want to serve the Lord as best I can. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel is the one who had these visions and saw so well what the end times were going to be like. And he says this. Uh, First of all, in verse 1, he says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble or tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Even those who don't believe in Jesus will live forever, but live apart from him in the lake of fire. And verse 3, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many who are wise and many who lead others to righteousness will shine like the stars. Friends, that's what leading lights is all about. We want to be shining like stars. We want to learn to lead and we want to lead others to righteousness and wisdom and help others to experience the salvation that we have. Are you ready? Will you get ready today? Jesus said when he comes again, it's going to be like 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom, five of whom have lamps, but they have no oil, no real relationship with God, whereas five, their lamps are full of oil. Will you give your life to the Lord and be so full of Him and passionate for Him that when He comes, you are rejoicing with Him? Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I want to be with you when you come again. I pray you would forgive me for my sins, wash me, forgive me, and make me brand new. I will live for you all the days of my life. And Lord, I want to serve you even here and now, before eternity. I want to serve you by bringing your kingdom to come in every way that I can. In Jesus' name, amen. Look up our website, leadinglastnetwork.com. Let us know if you prayed that prayer. We want to help you live your best for God. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.